It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here, as always, joined by Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. A good podcast this week. We're going to talk about some of the prospects around the minors that are off to great starts and when they may be graduating to the major leagues. We'll also talk about Seth Romero, the troubled prospect heading into the draft, and he's in a little more trouble because he's He's not playing baseball anymore right now. We'll get into that. But before all of that, we're going to talk about the international signing period, which is coming up on July 2nd. And we're joined by MLB.com's Jesse Sanchez, which who knows as much about this stuff as anybody around the world of baseball. And Jesse has a top 30 prospects out on MLBPipeline.com. Jesse, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, my pleasure, guys. All right, Jesse, first question, I guess, is... From me, and, and then Jim and Jonathan can weigh in, but we have a new CBA, and it's going into effect here. How is that changing this year's international signing period? Well, the rules have actually changed. You know, they're going to change on July 2nd, 2017. And uh, what it means is every team is going to get at least $4.75 million. Some teams are going to get $5.25 million, and another team will get, you know, $5.75 million. So basically that's as much as they can spend – on international prospects. If they go past that, there's not a penalty anymore. I mean, you, you can't get taxed for that. You just can't spend this amount of money. In, in certain terms, I mean, you can just say there's a cap there. So in many ways, that's going to impact, you know, how, how teams operate. But the goal there was kind of create some parity and give everybody almost the same amount of money to spend. You know, you still can trade for up to, uh, you, know, you know, up to a certain amount to increase your pool money. But the reality is they were trying to you know, create some parity and give everybody a shot at the international market. As we all know, you know, uh, you look at the big league rosters now, you look at the minor league rosters, almost all of these kids signed during the international signing period, so it's a pretty important uh, period. Jesse, just you know, looking at the, the top loader, it's always fun, and I know the, the difficulty in trying to project uh, you know, kids who are 16 years old into – what their tools graduate, you know, look like and what they're going to develop into. But what's the strength of this crop? You know, if, if people are looking for, for something, is there, is there something that particularly stands out? You know, and as you said, it is extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to project what an 18-year-old kid's going to be or a 21-year-old kid. And imagine how hard it is to project what a 16-year-old kid is going to be. So what happens there is teams, you know, front offices, they focus in on premium position players, shortstops, center fielders, uh, pitchers not so much because, you know, most of these guys probably throw 88 to 91. It's kind of hard to, you know, project how they're going to be at 15, 16 years old. So they're really looking at tools. They're really looking at arm strength, you know, all the five tools. And what is happening now, most of these kids are playing in game. So there are leagues all across Latin America that are allowing, you know, scouting directors, you know, front office officials to really see how these guys are going to, you know, act in game situations. But ultimately it comes down to the tools. It comes down to playing in games. And, uh, you know, there's some little, there's some magic. I mean, 
there's some wishing going on. I mean, when you're looking at a 16-year-old kid, you see the body, you see the tools, but you also, there's some hope there that this guy's going to be who you want to be. But ultimately, they're looking for shortstops, they're looking for center fielders, and once they sign those guys, they kind of just wiggle them, move them around into the position that fits them best. Hey, Jesse, I noticed from looking at your list, uh, one of the things that jumped out at me, only two pitchers on the list. Uh, you know, I, it seems like these lists are usually more dominated by hitters, but is this like an exceptionally light group of pitchers? I don't ever remember seeing a 28-hitter top 30 that, that you've put out before in previous years. Right, and, and, and I think that speaks to kind of the unique uh, talent out there. I think traditionally – uh, it's the hitters, you know, the position players who get a lot of the attention. Ultimately, it's still hard to project what these pitchers are going to do. Again, they throw probably between 86 to 90. Um, they're still working on their mechanics. They're still not sure who they're going to be. I mean, they're still beginning the uh, process of learning secondary pitches. So it's kind of hard for clubs to, uh, you know, really hone in on some of these guys. But they do see the talent there. They do see the arm actions. They do see the bodies, and they project. You know, some of these guys, the hope is they'll end up in a starting rotation. Um, but if they end up in the bullpen, you know, that's okay, too. I think what's unique this year, on our, you know, our number five, his name is Eric Pardino. He's a right-handed pitcher from Brazil. He's our highest-ranked pitcher. But he's a unique case. He pits in the World Baseball Classic. He's a kid who has been uh, – training in Brazil in, you know, Japanese academies and MLB academies since he was like 12 years old. And he has a more an advanced approach, an advanced feel for pitching. And I think that's what strikes him as so unique. What you're seeing with some of the other pitchers in Latin America, the raw talent is there, the raw power is there, but they're still working on kind of fine-tuning their entire game. Hey, Jesse, you mentioned Pardino on the pitching side of things. Um, as far as hitters go, the number one guy on the list is Wander Samuel Franco. Uh, as you mentioned, all the shortstop, he's a shortstop. He's got good bloodlines as well. Can you just talk about the upside of him? You know, you know, Wanda Franco, he's very unique. Uh, his, his baseball idol is also his uncle, Eric Ibar, you know, the shortstop for the Padres. So he comes from this bloodline of, you know, professional athletes. His brother, he has two brothers. They are both named Wanda Franco. One is, a, in, one is in the minor leagues for the Royals. The other is a minor leaguer for the Astros. His father, also named Wander Franco, also was a minor league player. So this kid's kind of grown up around the game. Um, he's a switch hitter. He has some advanced tools. I mean, there's some people to believe, like, he could end up at second base. But I think the belief now is uh, the team that signs him, they're going to kind of let him develop at shortstop. Again, he's just 16 years old, but he has showed some, you know, you know, advanced approach. And I think a big part of that is growing up around the game. I mean, in the Dominican Republic or in Latin America, you know, baseball is life. But when you have your brothers are professional athletes, your your father was also a professional ball player, and your idol is your, you know, your uncle, a big leaguer, you can call him and talk to him, and you know, you guys work out in the summertime or winter. You know, that's a big advantage. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to like about Wander Franco. Jesse, I was, I was curious, you know, uh, obviously uh, Franco and then a lot of the other guys uh, are Dominican. If you go through the list, uh, I think the Dominican Republic and Venezuela, uh, you know, completely dominate the, the top 30. You've got Perdino from Brazil. You've got a kid from the, from the Bahamas. But how, you know, I, I know there's been so much um, effort put into growing the game, and you see Brazil, you know, do some things in the World Baseball Classic with, with young talent. Uh, what, what is the progress of where 
the game is in some of these sort of uh, countries that maybe it's still seen as, as having a lot of untapped potential? You know, I think a big focus has been on, I mean, Europe is all, always a place where baseball is looking to go. They're always looking for, you know, a prospect to come out of there. But I think uh, a big focus at the moment is probably Central America, uh, Nicaragua, Panama, uh, even Honduras. I mean, so Central America, that part of Latin America has, has been a focus. But you look around, there's 4,000 kids who are registered to sign, who will be eligible to sign. And those they come from, like, obviously, Dominican Republic, Mexico, and those type of countries. But there are also going to be kids from Belarus, Brazil, Czech Republic, Curaçao, Ecuador, you know, France, Germany, you know, South Korea, Spain, Sweden. So what you're seeing there is these kids are, you know, playing baseball all across the world. And, you know, as they say, you know, if the kid has talent, scouts will find him. Jesse, I know it's obviously going to be a new set of rules, and it's not going to be like the old system where even though a team would incur penalties, they could basically spend whatever they wanted and just go crazy. You know, As you mentioned, teams can trade for money, but you know, you, there's a limit to what you can trade for, so we're not going to see a team spend you know, $50 million or up on international players this summer. But that said, I mean, given that it's usually an open secret, where most of these guys are going to sign. Is there a team or a couple teams that seem poised that they're going to have a bigger summer than maybe the rest of the clubs in terms of signing you know, talent? You know, I think the teams that are coming off the penalty, I mean, you got to keep an eye on uh, the Boston Red Sox. Keep an eye on the New York Yankees. you got to keep in mind the, the uh, Red Sox were in the penalty for signing Yohan Moncada. So now they're coming out of the penalty. So it's time to restock their system. Um, you know, the Yankees have always been really active on the international market, um, so they're going to be busy. You know, I'd also keep an eye on, on the Rangers. I mean, they're, you know, the traditional teams that are always busy on the market um, you know, are going to do it again. But I, for me, guys, I mean, teams like the Brewers, you know, teams like, uh, let me see, the, I think the Reds are going to be also uh, could be active before, you know, this current period ends. Um, what I'm seeing now is teams are all in. I mean, you're going to see teams who have traditionally spent a lot of money get on, you know, spend their money. But now other teams are kind of really realizing now is an opportunity. We kind of have an even playing field. Let's all get into this game. Uh, Jesse, one name that's not on the on the top 30 uh, because he counts as the current crop is Luis Robert. Uh, there's sure to be a, a bidding war uh, on him, especially because it counts towards the uh, the old uh, you know bonus pools and things like that. If you were to put him uh, on on this top thirty, where would Robert go? You know, Robert would be number one. I mean, he he's a special guy. He's a special prospect. Um, he became eligible you know, last month, April. He's he's going to be eligible to sign on May twentieth, and he immediately jumped to the top of the board, even above guys like a Kevin Maiton, who are you know really highly revered prospects. So he jumped on the top of that list. You know, I don't expect him to, you know, go into the next signing period. I do expect him to sign, you know, before June 15th, which is the end of the current signing period. But if he does not, you know, he's going to go immediately to the top. Uh, you know, he's a special guy. People have compared him to Yuan uh, Moncada, which is pretty high praise. And I think uh, it's going to be determined whether he can live up to those type of comparisons. But I think scouts uh, really like him. There are a lot of teams really, you know, interested in signing him and putting him in their system. So we're going to see. But like I said, for now, he's on the uh, 
number one on last year's signing period, I mean on the current signing period list, and if he doesn't sign, he would be number one on the, le on the, uh, the next year's too. Great stuff, Jesse, and people can go to MLBPipeline.com, check out the full top 30 with all Jesse's information in there and, and even a, a few spots. I think you have an idea of, of teams that are maybe leaning towards getting some of these guys as well. So great stuff, Jesse. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And the draft obviously coming up in uh, early to mid-June, and then quickly after that, uh, all of baseball kind of turns its sights over to the international signing period getting going on July 2nd. All right, we're going to move on to the news about Seth Romero. We'll talk about that and also prospects off to great starts this season as we have a little larger sample size. But before we get to that, we want to take a second to tell you about the Fantasy 411 podcast. Want to win your fantasy league this year? Well, Fred Zinke and Matthew Leach will cover the bases for you all season, giving you an edge over your friends. No matter what kind of format you play, the MLB fantasy crew has been there, won that, and they'll help you win too. Last week, Fred and special guest Al Mechior weighed in on Miguel Sano's hot start, Ian Desmond's return, and a few under-owned pitchers who you need to add now. Before you set your lineup or hit the waiver wire, follow the Fantasy 411 podcast on iTunes today. All right, let's move on to the prospects in the minor leagues right now. And, Jonathan, you have a story up on uh, Pipeline.com about you have five hitters and five pitchers that are off to great starts this season, all guys within the top 100 prospects. Um, they're guys we've talked plenty about when you talk about the hitters. You have Mancata, Ahmed Rosario, Rafael Devers, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kyle Tucker. The pitchers you have are Michael Kopech, Colby Allard, Tristan McKenzie, Dylan Cease, and Chance Adams. Um, let's talk bigger picture, though. You talk about those hitters. And, and some big names there, including Moncada, who's number one in the top 100, Rosario's number three. How quickly are these guys going to say goodbye to the minor leagues? Yeah, I think that's the, the question with the, the guys at the, at the upper levels. And both Moncada and Rosario are, are in AAA. Uh, both organizations are uh, preaching patience. Um, you know, Rosario is only 21. Uh, and has just been hitting a ton. And it's not just because he's in Las Vegas, by the way. He was hitting better on the road than he was at home. Mancada, I mean, I think it is definitely a, a question of when and not if. Uh, I think it's just, just going to decide when they want to try to pull the trigger and let him come up and, and play every day and, and see how, how he fares. Uh, you know, he was, uh, we all know he was up last year and he struggled in a very brief amount of time, but. He, he's doing everything that was expected of him. I mean, there's some swing and miss, but, I mean, when you're hitting for average, you're getting on base and you're, and you're slugging as high, and you're also stealing bases. I mean, he's doing everything that he's capable of doing to show that he's ready for a, another shot at the big league. So I have to think it's going to be sooner rather than later. Now, that may be June. You know, I, I don't really know, but I have to think that of the, of the group – uh, yeah, that I just that I talked about. He's the guy that's going to get there first. Jim Devers is interesting because he's obviously a third <coughs> baseman, and he's not just having a great season. But I know he was on the prospect team of the week last week, and the power is really coming. But he's only in Double A, and he's just kind of getting going in Double A. But you look at Boston, and there's a hole still there at third base. I mean, if he continues to hit like this, could we see him before September in Boston? 
I think we could. I mean, you look at how Boston has made moves the last couple of years, really since Dave Dombrowski's come in, and it's all been about, you know, winning now. You know, last year they jumped Yohan Mankata from, from double-A to the big leagues and had him try to learn third base pretty much on the fly. He played a little bit in the minors. So, yeah, I don't think it's out of the question. I mean, Devers, you know, maybe it's because he was in the same farm system with Yohan Mankata and Andrew Benintendi, and he got overshadowed a little bit. But Devers, I don't necessarily know for a guy who's ranked 14th on the MLB Pipeline Top 100 that people realize how good this guy is. I mean, this was a guy who was supposed to be the best left-handed hitter on the international market in 2013. You know, Jesse was talking about how important that market can be, and and here's another example. And he's pretty much always hit. Um, he's hit for power. He's always been one of the youngest players in, in his league. I, I want to say I think he's the second youngest regular in the Eastern League uh, this year, if I remember correctly. And, you know, he's not – I don't think he's going to be a gold glover. But, like, you're talking about a guy who when he signed, people were saying, oh, this guy's going to outgrow third base. And I think he can get the job done. So, uh, you know, uh, yes, he needs more seasoning because he, he's 20 years old. He's only played 26 games at the double-A level. But if the Red Sox continue to contend, which I would think they would, and they continue to have, you know, issues at third base, which is, you know, somewhat high likelihood, uh, you know, this guy might be their their best option in August. And, and you know, you look at what they did with Mikado last year, I, I don't think they'd be against calling him up. And, and I would say one other guy who's in double who we might see at some point, maybe the not-too-distant future. If the Yankees continue to contend and, you know, they're, they're ahead of schedule, they're off to a great start this year, and they need starting pitching help. I mean, Chance Adams is a guy who, you know, I don't know about you, Jonathan, or you, Tim, but when he had his big breakout year last year, I was impressed, but I also knew this was a guy who was a reliever at Dallas Baptist on a, on a very loaded pitching staff in 2015 who was one of the very best starters statistically in the minors last year, and his stuff didn't – you know, most guys, when you put them in the rotation, their stuff ticks down a little bit because you're pitching more. His stuff actually ticked up, and I'll admit, coming in this year, I, I, I wouldn't say skeptical, but I was, I was curious, okay, can he do this again? Is Chance Adams for real? And right now he's got a one ERA and, and six double-A starts. So uh, I don't think the, the Yankees would have any qualms about calling up Chance Adams in, in a month or two if they were contending and doesn't look like they're going to go anytime soon. And they need starting pitching help because he, he looks like he's very much for real. Jonathan, when you look at uh, the White Sox and obviously Moncada and Michael Kopech uh, on the pitching side at double-A and off to a great start, number 13 prospect, this is kind of a dream scenario, isn't it? You go out in the offseason, you make these big trades to trade away star players like Chris Sale, and your fan base doesn't really have to wait very long to see the very next season. We're in May right now, and two of those key pieces they got back are immediately showing you what they can do. Yeah, I mean, that's. Uh, I think you're seeing more and more teams when they hit the reset button, they're hoping that it's a, a faster reset button. Uh, you know, it's not that you don't take guys who are low down the minors who might have, you know, high ceilings but are, are far away. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we've seen over the last couple of years teams really targeting uh, prospect talent at the upper levels of systems so, so that uh, he, you know, so that they could get there faster. And not just to give you know fans something to be excited about in the minors, but also so that they can turn things around and start winning again. Uh, you know, especially in, in a market like Chicago, uh, where I think you know the White Sox sometimes struggle to to be relevant with all the success the 
the the Cubs have had. Um, you know, so to be able to do that, uh, you know, in, in Kopech, they're going to have to probably pump the brakes a little bit on just because the stuff is so good. He could get big league hitters out. Um, but he also is, is at the advanced levels for the first time. So uh, I think it's very encouraging and, and helps offset a little bit that um, a guy like Lucas Giolito has is, is been struggling so far. As far as other pitchers here, we mentioned Chance Adams. Colby Allard is in double-A with the Braves. And, I mean, the Braves are obviously in a spot where, where they're a ways away still, although they're obviously coming and there's pitching coming. So, Jim, is that a situation where – they're going to take their time with Allard. I mean, will he spend, would you imagine, all year in double-A, uh, maybe towards the end of the year, get the call up to triple-A? We're not going to see him extremely soon, right? No, I, I would expect he'd spend the whole year in double-A because they're already skipping him a level past high class A. Uh, he's young. I mean, and this is a guy who would have gone very near the top of the, of the draft back in 2015 had he not had a stress reaction in his back as a high school senior. You know, he's never pitched, you know, even in pro ball, he only pitched 88 innings last year. So my guess is they will handle him carefully no matter how well he pitches. I, I would anticipate he'd probably top out at around, you know, I don't know, 120, 125 innings and stay in double-A. I mean, the Braves right now have the worst record, I, I believe, in baseball. They're not going to contend. They're not built to contend this year. They're already being aggressive with him. But I, I think if you're in if you're in Mississippi, you probably get to see Colby Allard all year. Uh, one more for you, Jonathan. You see this list, and some of these guys are at new levels. Some of them take off from a level they were at a year ago. How, um, how much does that matter, you think, in getting off to a good start to your minor season? Or, or maybe the question is, how much more impressive is it when guys move up a level and instantly hit as opposed to having to kind of adapt? I think it's, that's the perfect storm for a team. You know, you, you promote a guy, whether it's in season uh, you know, or at the beginning of the season, beginning of the season, at least they have some time to prepare, uh, especially if it's a, if it's a pitcher. Uh, you know, uh, I think an organization prepares itself for the possibility of struggling when a, a player gets to a new level. But if they can really hit the ground running, uh, then I think uh, it helps them build confidence, maybe shortens the timetable uh, and the learning curve a little bit. I mean, with a guy like Colby Allard who, you know, double jumped from low A to double A, that's even better. Um, you know, as Jim said, this is a guy that they treated with uh, kid gloves coming off the, some of the, uh, the back issues, they, they held him back last year. They limited his innings. So to move him up to double-A kind of erases the, you know, somewhat loss of, of development time because they were really being uh, prudent with him. Uh, not, they're not going to rush him up to the big leagues, but he's already way ahead of the development curve. And the fact that he's going out and throwing as well as he has, uh, I think certainly bodes well for, you know, a, a relatively quick ticket to Atlanta. And a kind of familiar question to that, Jim, is uh, Guerrero Jr. and Tucker are both in Class A to start the season. When you get off to a hot start like that, are those guys going to kind of accelerate their timetable a little bit, getting off to this quick start and right now being in Class A? I think they could. I mean, there are different levels. I mean, Tucker's in high Class A, and Vladimir Jr., who's younger, is in low Class A. But, I mean, I do think those are two of the, the you know, on the short list of the very most gifted hitters in the entire minor leagues. And, and, and you know, hitters you can handle differently than pitchers, obviously. You're not worried about, you know, blowing their arm out by, you know, having too many swings or anything like that like you would with too many innings. But um, with Tucker and Guerrero, I just think when you have gifted young hitters, they, they could set their own timetable. Uh, you know, Kyle Tucker, 
if he was up in the big league sometime next year when he's when he's 21 years old, I, I could see that. I mean, it's, I don't think it's going to be this year, but I would imagine he'd get to double A. I could see him there in the last couple months of this year and, and then maybe forcing his way to Houston by the end of next year. And, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he's in the big leagues, you know, shortly after he turns 20 in 2019. I mean, both those guys are just so talented. Uh, you know, I think they're really going to hit. I think the power is going to come. Uh, they're very exciting guys for me. All right, so that's a great article. You can read a little more about those guys on Pipeline.com. One more thing I wanted to touch with you guys on on this podcast is the news of Seth Romero, who is a first-round-type talent heading into this 2017 draft, but he's been dismissed from the University of Houston, um, and it's kind of the, the last straw, I guess, and what's been a troubling college career as far as Romero goes off the field, but he obviously has put up tremendous numbers throughout his career on the field. Um, it's... We're, we're about a month out from the draft. How much of an effect does this have on Romero as far as the draft goes, Jonathan? I mean, it has a huge impact. Um, as we speak right now, Jim is in the process of putting together uh, a mock. Um, so, uh, you know, good luck there. Uh, but, I mean, I think just in general, I mean, this is a draft where uh, it's been difficult to figure out who the first-round talent, especially who at the top, uh, should be. And Seth Romero was a guy who, you know, very, very early on, his name was at least being talked about as a potential top-ten pick, uh, just in terms of, like, well, if you're trying to find a college arm and, and, and things like that. Now, I, I, don't, I don't really have an idea of where, where he can go, because there are a lot of teams – who just will automatically remove him from their boards because of the makeup issues. Yeah, it's um, I, I think he would have gone in the top ten. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a lefty who was in the best shape of his life after having conditioning issues in the past, throwing 92-97 with one of the best sliders in college baseball and a pretty good changeup, too, and was leading the nation in strikeouts when he got initially suspended. But... Yeah, we'll see. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting uh, question because I've talked to teams that not only would not take him in the first round, but say they have no interest in him in the second round. They have you know, grave makeup concerns that go beyond just the two specific incidents that got him suspended and then dismissed from the team this year. He was suspended last year at, at, for a point, uh, you know, theoretically for conditioning issues, but teams aren't so sure about that. And, and there's just some you know, issues with Seth Romero that, that I think even predate his time at the University of Houston that teams are very concerned about. Now, the flip side is you may see a team that looks at it like, hey, we've got multiple picks. We're picking toward the end of the first round. You know, this guy's a top ten talent. We'll straighten him out. I mean, you remember last year we were talking about – Makeup issues with the number one guy on our MLB pipeline prospect list, you know, Jay Groom, um, and he dropped from one to twelve. Uh, I cannot, you know, we were. I've had guys. <laughs> he's come up a lot when I've talked about mock drafts or even just talking, doing top two hundred calls for our list that we're going to revise. And, and I've had people ask me, and I've asked them, but you know, I've covered this stuff for thirty years. Like, when can you remember a guy this talented getting suspended or dismissed from a team this close to the draft? And and really, the only parallel I can remember 
is and I may be missing somebody, but it, it's it's Joey Bell. He was then Joey Bell. Later, he became known as Albert Bell in 1987 when he was one of the best hitters in the country. And it I actually it happened to be there in 1987. The SEC tournament was at the University of Georgia when I was a student there, and our our field, which was nothing like the gym it is now, had you know basically enough room to accommodate maybe six reporters. So they had to build an auxiliary press box, and there was. Literally, like some loose lumber lying around, and some Mississippi State fans who also got into it with an Oklahoma State uh, player during the the subsequent NCAA regionals were basically shouting racist things at at Joey Bell, and he picked up a two by four and did not run after them, but kind of menacingly walked toward them, brandishing a two by four um, before his one of his teammates got to him. But Joey Bell got suspended, and he dropped all the way to the second round. If if I had to guess. I would guess second round on Seth Romero, although if he went late first or sandwich round uh, to somebody who had multiple picks and felt it was worth the gamble, I could see that. I mean, the one kind of half-serious joke that almost everybody makes is that you know Mike Rizzo always drafts players represented by Scott Boris, and so they're, they're everybody's guess, best guess is the Nationals. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, he's a very talented guy, but huge, huge makeup concerns, and it's very uncertain where this guy will go. Well, and luckily, uh, because we have the history of Joey Bell, we know that uh, sometimes it works out, and the guy never has another makeup problem. Oh wait, no, never mind. <laughs> well, he was a productive player, that's for sure. That is for sure. So, I mean, if you're and willing different to... kind of makeup issues. Yeah. I mean, with yes, that's true. With Bell, it yeah, was right. anger management, and with Seth, it's something else entirely different. But yeah, I mean, it's. I, I will say, having covered this stuff, and you've covered it forever, Jonathan. Too, when you talk about talented players, it may not be all 30 teams, but there will be teams that rationalize. Uh, you know, hey, the guy's so good, we can we we can do something with this and help him out. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. He he also, I mean, and I cannot imagine that he's going to have much negotiating leverage because, I mean, well, what's his alternative? I mean, he falls and he has to take a lesser bonus, but what's his alternative? Is he going to go play independent ball? Is he going to go to an NAIA school next year? I mean, so. I mean, that, in, a, in an odd sort of way, you, you wish you didn't have the makeup issues, but from a financial standpoint, you are going to get Seth Romero, whoever drafts him, for a significantly lower price than he would have cost on talent alone, which, you know, gives you some, you know, added room, you know, with your bonus pool. So it'll, it'll be fascinating. Like I said, if I had to bet, I would say second round, but if you went in the first round, you know, toward the bottom of the first round, that wouldn't shock me at all. Jim, you mentioned the conditioning issues, and then you kind of put a question in there, whether or not that was really a thing or if it was something else. Is there any you, questions about the on-the-field stuff and his ability to pitch, or is it just off the field, or do those conditioning questions, is that a real thing? Well, I mean, he did have conditioning issues. I mean, he was not a guy who was ever really in shape his first two years. He lost a bunch of weight and looked really – I mean, guys were shocked at how good he looked this year. I think Houston's strength and conditioning guy really worked well with him, and Seth bought into it. I guess when I, when I kind of put the air quotes around that one is – 
is I do think teams are at least wondering, was he really suspended for being out of shape or was there something more to it beyond that? Um, so, but no, I mean, on the field, I mean, you're talking, you know, 92-97, a plus slider, a, a pretty solid changeup, threw a lot of strikes. If you want to look at, you know, statistics, he was leading the NCAA in strikeouts when he got suspended the first time and missed four starts. Um, and he looks like his body looks much better this year. So if you were only going based on what you saw between the white lines, this guy would be probably a top ten pick. I mean, I think if you're talking about the college pitchers in this draft, you know, Brendan McKay, you know, who might get drafted as a hitter, but could get drafted as a pitcher. You know, Brendan McKay from Louisville and Kyle Wright from Vanderbilt would be the first two guys gone. And then I think you'd probably be talking about whether Seth Romero was going to be the next guy taken. And he would maybe have a chance to be the third guy taken, even ahead of guys like North Carolina's J.B. Bukowskis and Florida's Alex Fajardo. I mean, he, the stuff was that good. He's left-handed. Um, you know, if you're comparing him to those guys, I think most people would tell you he has a better chance to start than Bukowskis. His stuff was markedly better than Fajardo's has been for most of this year. Plus, as a bonus, he's left-handed. So, I mean, he might have been, you know, I think he probably would have gone in the 6-10 to 10 range. All right, well, it's definitely another storyline to watch as we approach draft day and, and that first night of the draft. Uh, I'm sure it'll be something that you guys talk about plenty, where Seth Romero ends up going. I assume he will likely still go on day one of the draft in rounds one or two. All right, that's going to do it for another Pipeline podcast for Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo and, of course, Jesse Sanchez, who joined us this week. I want to thank him as well. Thanks for joining us. Tune in again next time.